Well, hello again. It's Cory Doctorow, and it's uh, a little after midnight, quarter to one here, and I'm going to record another podcast, a little bit more after the siege. One week after her father died, Valentine stopped carrying water. There's not enough food, her mother said, over a breakfast of nothing but dried fruit. The cereal was all gone. If you... She swallowed and looked out the window. If you dig in the trenches, we'll get 150 grams of bread a day. Valentine looked at Trover. He hadn't had a tantrum in days. He didn't cry or even speak much anymore. I'll dig. She dug. Six months after her father died, Valentine stood in the queue for her bread. It was now the full heat of summer, and the clothes the wizard had given her had fallen to bits, the way all printer clothes did. She was wearing her father's old trousers, cut off just below the knee, and one of his shirts, with the sleeves and the collar cut off, all to let in a little of the lazy air, and to let a little of the sluggish sweat out. She was tired and dirty, the way she always was at the day's end. She was also so hungry. She and her mother didn't talk much anymore, but didn't have to. Her mother was sometimes away on long missions, and increasingly longer ones. She was harrying the enemy with the guerrilla fighters, and living on pinecone soup and squirrels from the woods. Trover stayed over at the creche some nights, a lot of the little ones did. Who had the strength to carry a little boy up the stairs at the end of a day's digging, at the end of three days' hard fighting in the woods? The bread rations were handed out in the spot where the sinner once stood. She couldn't really remember what it had been like, though she remembered Tina, the things Tina had said that made her leave the shelter, which had probably saved her life. Poor Tina, little bitch. She was so hungry, and the line moved slowly. She had her chip from the boy from the city, who oversaw the ditch digging at her part of the ditches. He was only a little older than her, but he couldn't dig because his hands had been mutilated when a bomb went off near him. He kept them shoved in his pockets, but he'd seen them, and they looked like the knuckle-breakers had given them a good scene, too. Every finger pointed a different direction, except for the ones that were missing altogether. There was also something wrong with him that made him sometimes stop talking in the middle of a sentence and sit down for a moment with his head tilted back. The chit, though. The boy always gave her the chit, and the chit could be redeemed for bread. If she left Trover in the creche, they would feed him, if Mata didn't come home from the fighting again tonight, the bread would be hers, and the cabbage, too. Eight months after her father died, her mother stayed away in the fighting for three weeks, and Valentine decided that she was dead, and started sleeping in her mother's bed. Valentine cried a little at first, but she got used to it. She started to negotiate with one of the women who lived on the floor below, to sell her narrow little bed for 800 grams of bread, 40 grams of butter, and though she didn't really believe it, 100 grams of ground beef. She never found out if the woman downstairs had any ground beef. Where would you get ground beef anyway? Even the dogs and cats and rats were all gone. For Valentine's mother came home after three weeks, and it turned out that she'd been in the hospital all that time, having her broken bones mended, something they could still do for some soldiers. Mata came through the door like an old woman, and Valentine looked up from the table where she'd been patiently feeding silent Trover before collapsing to sleep again. Valentine stood and looked at her, and her Mata looked at Valentine, 
and then her mother hobbled across the floor like an old woman and gave Valentine a fierce, hard, long hug. Valentine found she was crying and also found that Sam Little Trover had gotten up from the table and was hugging them both. He was tall, she realized dimly, tall enough to reach up and hug her at the waist instead of the knees. And when had that happened? Her mother ate some of the dinner that they'd had and then took a painkiller, the kind that came in a pill that form that were now everywhere. Take a few of them and you would forget all your problems, or so hissed the boys she passed in the street, though she passed them without a glance or a sniff. Soon she was asleep, back in her narrow bed, and Valentine was back in her bed too, but she couldn't sleep. Under her bed she had the remains of her grip sheet parcel, one of the precise robot knots remaining. In that parcel was her winter galosh, just one, the other had been stolen the winter before when she'd taken them both off to rub some warmth back into her toes before going back to the digging. In the toe of the galosh there was a pea-sized, glowing light. She'd never considered selling it for bread, though it was very fine. Its light seemed too bright in the dark flat, so she took it outside into the hot night and used it to light her way on a secret walk through the old streets of her dirty city. Nine months after her father died, winter had set in and had sent autumn as a threatening envoy. The bread ration was cut to 120 grams, and there were sometimes pebbles in the bread that everyone knew were there to increase the weight. But she was proud that the bread was bad, and she and the other diggers cursed the enemy and not the city. Even though no one had it any but everyone knew that no one else had it any better, they fought and suffered together. But she was so hungry all the time, and you couldn't eat pride. One day she was in the queue for bread, and reached out with her trembling hands to take her ration, and then she turned with it, and in a flash a man old enough to be her father had snatched it out of her hands and run away with it. She chased after him, and the shrill cries of the women followed them, but, she knew the rub but he knew the rubble piles well, and he dodged and weaved, and she was so tired. Eventually she just sat down and wept. That was when she saw her first zombie. Zombieism had been eliminated when she was practically a baby, just after the revolution, years and years ago. But now it was back. The zombie had been a soldier, so maybe zombieism was coming back in the gas attacks that wafted over the trenches. His uniform hung in rags from his loose limbs as he walked in that funky, disco-dancer shuffle that meant zombie as clearly as the open, drooling mouth and the staring, not-seeing eyes. They were fast zombies, though you could hardly believe it when they were doing that funky walk. Once they saw prey, they turned into racehorses that tore over anything and everything in their quest to rip and bite and rend and tear, screaming incoherencies with just enough words in them to make it clear that they were angry so, so angry. She scrambled up from the curb she'd been weeping on and began to back away slowly, keeping perfectly silent. We needed to get away from zombies and then tell someone from the city so they could administer the cure. That's how you did it back in the old days. The zombie was shambling away from her anyway. It would pass by harmlessly, but she had to get away in any event because it was a zombie and it was wrong in just the same way that a giant hairy spider was wrong. Though if she'd found something giant and hairy that day, she'd have taken it home for the pot. She didn't kick a tin or knock over a pile of rubble. She was perfectly silent, she hardly breathed, and the zombie saw her anyway. It roared and charged. Its mouth was almost tooth toothless, but what teeth remained there gleamed, 
It had been a soldier, and it had good boots, and they crunched the broken glass and the rubble as it pelted for her. She shrieked and ran, but she knew, even as she did, that she would never outrun it. She was starved and had already used up all her energy chasing the bastard, the fucking bastard who'd taken her bread. She ran anyway, but the sound of the zombie's good boots drew closer and closer, coming up on her, closing on her. A hand thumped her shoulder and scrabbled at it, and she spied a piece of steel bar. Maybe it had been a locking post for a hover car in the golden days, and she snatched it up and whirled around. The zombie grabbed for her, and she smashed its wrist like an old-timey schoolteacher with a ruler. She heard something crack, and the zombie roared again. Bread, fight, asshole, kill, hungry is what it sounded like. But one of its hands was now useless, flopping at its side. It charged her, grappling with her, and she couldn't get her bar back for a swing. Its good hand was in her hair, and it didn't stink. That was the worst part. It smelled like fresh-baked bread. It smelled like flowers. Zombies smelled delicious. The part of her brain that was detached and thinking these thoughts was not the part in the front. That part was incoherent with equal parts rage and terror. The zombie would bite her soon, and that would be it. In a day, she'd be a zombie, too, in need of medicine, and how many more would she bite before she was cured? In that moment, she stopped being angry at the zombie and became angry at the besiegers. They, were ab they had been abstract enemies until then, an unknowable force from outside her world. But in that moment, she realized that they were people like her who could suffer like her, and she wished that they would. She wished that their children would starve. She wished that their parents would die. The old people shrivel unto death in their dry, unwatered flats. The toddlers wander in the streets until the sunburn or the cold took them. She screamed an animal scream and pushed the zombie off her with her arms and legs, even her head, snapping it into the zombie's cheekbone as hard as she could, and something broke there, too. The zombie staggered back. They couldn't feel pain, but their balance was a little weak. It tottered, and she went after it with the bar. One whack in the knee took it down on its side. It reached with its good arm, and so she smashed that, too. Then the heaving ribs, then the face, the hateful, breathing, leering, mouth-open, stupid face. Three smashes turned it into a ruin. The jaw hung down to its chest, broken off the face. A hand seized her, and she whirled around with her bar held high, and nearly brained the soldier who'd grabbed her. It wasn't a zombie, and he had his pistol out. It was pointed at her. She dropped the bar like it was red-hot and threw her arms in the air. He shoved her rudely aside and knelt beside the zombie, the soldier zombie, she realized, with a sick lurch, that she just smashed to pieces. The soldier's back was to her, but his chest was heaving like a bellows, and his neck was tight. Please, she said, after they give him the cure, they can fix his bones. I had to hit him, or he would have, he would have killed me, he would have infected me. You see that, right? I knew it was wrong, but... The soldier shot the zombie through the head twice. He turned around. His face was streaming with tears. There is no cure, not for this strain. Once you get it, you die. It takes a week. It's slower than the old kind. It gives you more time to infect new people. Our enemies are crafty, crafty, girl. The soldier kicked the zombie. I knew his brother. I commanded him until he was killed by a trench buster. The mother and the father were killed by a shell. Now he's dead, and that's one whole family gone. The soldier cocked his head at her and examined her more closely. Have you been bitten? No, she said quickly. The gun was still in his hand. There was no cure. 
You're sure, he said. His voice was like her father's had been, and she skinned her knees, stern but sympathetic. If you have, you'd better tell me. Better to go quick and painless than like this thing. He kicked the zombie again. I'm sure, she said. Have you got any bread? A man stole my ration. The soldier lost interest in her when she asked him for bread. Goodbye, little girl, he said. That night she had a fever. She was so hot. She got them all the time. Everyone did. Not enough food, no heat, no vegetables, no vitamins. You always got fevers. But she was so hot. She took off her clothes and let the cool air blow over her skin on her narrow bed. Trevor was sleeping on the floor nearby. He had outgrown his crib long since, and he stirred irritably as she felt that air cool her sizzling skin. She ran her fingertips lightly over her body. She was never naked any more. If you were lucky, you washed your face and hands every day, but baths, they were cold and miserable, and who wanted to haul water for them anyway? Her breasts were undeniable now. Her blood had started a few months back, then stopped. Starvation, she knew, that's what did it. But there was new hair in her armpits and at her groin. She crossed her arms over her chest and hugged herself. That's when she found the bite on her shoulder, just where it met her neck. It was swollen like a quail egg. The chocolate quail eggs from before that had grown on the tree, she could taste them even now. It was so hot, it felt like a coal. In the middle of the egg, at its peak, the seeping wound left behind by one of the zombie's few teeth. Now she was cold as ice, shivering nude on her thin ruin of a bed, with her thin ruin of a body. She would be dead in a week. It was a death sentence that night. And she wouldn't go clean. She'd shamble and she'd scream and bite. Maybe she'd bite Trover. Maybe Mata. Maybe she'd find Lisa and give her a hard bite before she went. Her breath was coming in little pants now. She bit her lip to keep from screaming. She pulled her clothes back on as quietly as she could and slipped out into the night to find the wizard clutching her pea light. Many times she walked toward his house in the night, but she'd always turn back. Now she had to see him. She passed three zombies in the dark, two dead on the ground and riddled with bullet holes, one leaning at a fifth-story window and screaming its incoherent rage out at the city. As she drew near the wizard's door, an unshakable, fatal conclusion gripped her. He was long gone, shot or gassed, or simply moved to somewhere else. It had been months and months since he'd given her the printer clothes and the dumplings, and surely he was dead now. Who wasn't? Her steps slowed as she came to his block. Each step was the work of half a minute or more. She didn't want to see his old door hanging off its hinges, didn't want to see the ruins of the brave curves and swoops of his flat and his furniture. But her steps took her to the door, and it was shut and silent as, as any of the doors in the street. Nothing marked it beyond the grime of the city and the scratches and scrapes no one painted over any longer. She tried the knob. It was locked. She knocked. Silence. She knocked again harder, still silence. Crying now, she thundered on the door with her fists and kicked it with her feet. He was gone, 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 and she would be dead in a week. Then the door opened. It wasn't the wizard, but a well-fed blonde woman in a housecoat and slippers. She was beautiful, a movie star, though maybe that was just because she wasn't starved, nearly to death. Girl, you'd better have a good reason for waking up the whole fucking street at three in the morning. The woman's voice wasn't unkind, though she was clearly annoyed. I need to see... She dropped her voice at the last moment. I need to see the wizard. 
Oh, the, was the woman said, comprehension dawning on her face. Oh, well then, come on in, any friend of the wizard. The flat was just as she remembered it from that night long ago. The woman gestured at the kitchen, and coffee smells began to emanate from it. Valentine had forgotten the smell of coffee, but now she remembered. I'll go wake up his majesty, then, the woman said. Just sit yourself down. Valentine sat perched on the edge of the, ground, of the grand divan that twisted and curved along one wall of the sitting room. She knew that the seat of her trousers, filthy even before her tussle with the zombie, would leave black marks on its brave red upholstery. The conversation from down the corridor was muffled, and the tone was angry. Valentine felt her cheeks go hot, even through the fever. This place was still civilized, but she brought the war to it. Then the wizard came into the sitting room and waved the lights up to full bright, wincing away from the sudden illumination. He squinted at her. Do I know you, he said. Her tongue caught in, his, in her mouth. In his pajamas with his hair must, he still looked, every inch, the wizard. I... She couldn't finish. I... She tried again. You gave me clothes. My mother is a soldier. He snapped his fingers and grinned. Oh, the soldier's daughter. I remember you now. You counted the toothbrushes. You're a bright girl. She's a walking skeleton, the beautiful blonde woman was in the kitchen, tinkering with the cooker. It was the pre-war kind capable of printing out food with hardly any intervention. Valentine was hypnotized by her fingers. You want sandwiches and fish fingers? Start her with some drinking chocolate, Anna, the wizard said. Hot and then a milkshake. Little girls love chocolate. She hadn't tasted chocolate in... She didn't know. Her mouth was flooded with saliva. The woman, Anna, pressed some more buttons and then took down a bottle of rum from the cupboard. Will you have rum in yours, little girl? I... She's a little young, little young for rum, Anna, the wizard said. He sat down on one of his curvy sofas and it embraced him and unfurled a footrest. I'll have rum, she said. She was dying, and she wouldn't die without having one drink at least once. Good girl, Anna said. There's a war on, after all. She poured a liquid with the consistency of mud into a tall mug and then added a glug or two of rum and pushed it across the counter and then fixed one for herself. Come and get it. No waitress service here. Valentine took off her two small shoes and walked over the carpet in her dirty bare feet. It felt like something she barely remembered. Grass? The chocolate smelled wonderful. Wonderful was the word for it. It made her full of wonder. Rich. Something from another planet. From heaven, maybe. She lifted the mug and felt its warmth seep into her hands. She took a tentative sip and held it in her mouth. It was spicy. Was chocolate spicy? She didn't think so. The rum made her tongue tingle, and the heat made its fumes rise in her head, tearing up the chocolate taste in the peppers. Her eyes streamed. Her ears felt like they were full of chocolate. She swallowed and gasped, and the wizard laughed. She looked at him. It's Anna's recipe. She adds the chilies. I think it's lovely, don't you? Aztec chocolate, we call it. She took another mouthful, held it, swallowed. The chocolate was in her tummy now, and there was a feeling there, a greedy feeling, a more feeling. She drained the glass. Anna and the wizard both laughed. Anna handed her a tall frosted metal cup with a mountain of whipped cream on top and a straw sticking out. It's a chocolate malted, she said, the perfect chaser. 
Transfixed and her bare feet on the carpet, she drank this. A cold hit it, headache hit her between the eyes, but that didn't stop her from going on drinking. Wow. Wow. Were there tastes like this? Did things really taste this good? The straw made slurping noises as she chased down the last of the rich liquid. Sit now, the wizard said. Let that work its magic, and then we'll put some food down your gullet. She walked to the sofa. It was like walking on the deck of a rocking ship, or on the surface of the moon. Everything slid beneath her. I'm drunk, she thought. I'm fourteen years old, and I am drunk as a skunk. She lowered herself carefully and sat up as straight as she could. Now, young lady, what brings you to my home in the middle of the night? She remembered the bite on her neck and thought for a panicky second that she might throw up. I needed to talk to you, she said. I needed some help. What kind of help? She couldn't say it. She had the new kind of zombieism, and the soldier had explained it clearly. The cure for zombieism now was a bullet to the head. Then she knew what she must say. The chocolate helped. Her family would love chocolate. I'm going away soon, and my mother and brother won't be able to take care of themselves. I need help to keep them safe once I go. And where are you going? The drink made it hard to think, but that was balanced out by the precious and magical feeling of fullness in her belly. Her mind flew over all of the possible answers. I have found someone who will take me out of the city and to a safe place. Are there safe places, Anna said. Oh, Anna, you cynic, the wizard said. There are many, many safe places. The world is full of them. They are the exception, not the rule. Isn't that why you've come here? So that's all I'm going to read tonight. It's getting quite late, and my mouth is very dry. Um, I will speak to you in a day or two. Good night.